Good morning. My name is Matthew Capone, and I'm the pastor here at Shine Mountain Presbyterian Church, and it's my joy to bring God's Word to you today. If you are new or visiting with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you're here, not because we are trying to fill seats, but because we're following after Jesus together as one community. And as we follow after Jesus together, we become convinced that there's no one so good they don't need God's grace, and no one so bad they can't have it, which is why we come week after week and we take a look at what God has to say to us in the Bible because we believe he has something to say to everyone. He has something to say to people who've been Christians their entire lives. He has something to say to people who've been Christians only for a short amount of time, and he has something to say to people who would not consider themselves Christians, who have doubts or questions or objections about Christianity. But we come week after week knowing that God's going to speak to us and he's going to offer his grace to us. If you've been with us, you know that we have been in the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is the hymn book or the prayer book of God's people in the Old Testament. And it can continue to be used by God's people in the New Testament. And we have come to our final psalm. And the reason we've come to our final psalm is because we've come to the end of the summer. Now I know technically summer doesn't end for about another month or so. But school's starting back. And part of the reason we did uh, the Psalms this summer was practical. Now, part of it was spiritual. The Psalms are an essential part of our Christian diet. But part of it was practical, knowing that many of you would be in and out during the summer. It would be easier to hear ones that were not in sequence. Rather than trying to follow a story, you're gone and you miss part of the story. And part of the reason that many of you are gone is that many of you were on road trips. In fact, there are some people who are not with us this morning because they're still on road trips. There's some of you that have been on road trips. I've seen your pictures on Facebook. And this is the time during the summer when people like to get out and do a lot of traveling. And we are going to take a look this morning at a road trip psalm. We're in Psalm 133, and it's in a section of the Psalter that comes from Psalm 120 all the way to Psalm 134 that are road trip psalms. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. And they were psalms that were sung by pilgrims as they were ascending to Jerusalem. These would be people who were going to Jerusalem for various festivals. And so these would be some of the psalms that they would hold closely, that they would repeat or they would sing together as they would make their way to Jerusalem. If you're a family and you go on road trips, you realize you might have many different ways of distracting your kids or keeping someone's attention. Maybe you sing songs, maybe you play a license plate game. Maybe you have someone watch something on an iPhone or an iPad. And this would have been the Jews' way of focusing and keeping themselves from going crazy as they were on a road trip. They would be on a trip together to Jerusalem. Now this is also a psalm about community. And if you've been on a road trip, you know that road trips are both glorious and terrible. And they're glorious and terrible for a lot of different reasons. Some of it's the length, some of it's the tight space. But part of the reason road trips are glorious and terrible is because people are glorious and terrible. And when you're on a road trip, you're with a lot of people that are both glorious and both terrible, and you can't necessarily get away from them. And this is a psalm about relationships. There's a a book that a man wrote at, at one time, about relationships. He's a Christian counselor, and it was titled, uh, Relationships, a Mess Worth the Making. And my joke has always been it should have a question mark at the end. Relationships, are they really a mess worth the making? Is it really worth it? We know that relationships are filled with conflict, 
They're filled with challenges. And so sometimes it feels like it's, it's easier just to go our own way. As we look at this psalm, this road trip psalm, it's going to address that issue and we're going to ask why are relationships worth pursuing when they're so messy? And how do we experience the glory of relationships? If people are both glorious and terrible, if community is both glorious and terrible, how do we experience the glorious part of it? Why is it worth pushing through to get to the gold at the end? That's the question that this psalm is going to address, and so we're going to turn to it now. It's printed in your Bible. It's probably somewhere on your phone. You can also find it near the end of your worship guide. The entire passage is printed. And as we come to this portion of God's Word, remember that God tells us that His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. In other words, God has not left us alone to stumble in the dark, but instead He's given us His Word to show us the way to go. And so that's why we're going to read now, starting in verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I invite you to pray with me as we come to this portion of God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Psalms. That give us guidance and wisdom. We thank you that you've given us the gift of community. And yet we also admit that sometimes it's incredibly hard and incredibly challenging to live close to other people. And so we ask that you'd help us this morning. That you'd help us as we look at your word. That you'd send your spirit. That you would open our eyes. That you'd unstop our ears. That you'd clear our minds. And that you would soften our hearts. That we'd be able to understand and see and believe everything that is written about you in your word. And we ask these things not because we have earned them or we deserve them, but because Jesus has earned them for us. And so we ask them in his name. Amen. I have mentioned to you all a few times now that my first time in Colorado was on a road trip. I was on a spring break road trip out to Utah. And it was glorious, it was wonderful. Uh, there were times on the way out, we spent a straight 30 hours together in the car. So we didn't stop at a hotel. We were grad students, so we just decided we don't need to waste money on that. We're just going to switch drivers in and out. So we switched drivers in and out. We stopped for food when we needed to. We stopped at sites we wanted to see. We kind of lost track of time and decided that the days didn't really matter. And so it took us over a day just in the car together traveling. So all sorts of things. And then we came back together. We ended up not being able to go back to travel back together in the same van. So we split up. We had different groups that came back. And when it was over, when I got back the week after spring break of my second year in seminary, it was one of the hardest weeks. It's one of the hardest weeks of my time, of my three years studying there at that school. I remember uh, sitting in the back just a couple of days after we returned, I was sitting in the back of a class. It was an Old Testament historical books class. So of course, it was just incredibly enthralling. And um, I remember just sitting in the back and crying during this class. As I realized that this trip was over, we had experienced this incredible community for a small amount of time. 
And now we'd all had to go our own ways. We were students at the same school, but we had different classes, different class schedules. We had different jobs. We had different places that we each lived. We had different paths and different ways. And so we no longer had this experience anymore. Everything, we would just maybe see each other every once in a while passing on the halls. So as I sat and thought about this and remembered all this, I was just grieving. I was grieving because there was uh, something beautiful and good that I had lost. And I suddenly realized in a way I hadn't realized before that while I was surrounded by many people in this community, I was often at times also very alone and isolated. That you can take many classes, you can have jobs, you can move from place to place constantly, you can be barely at your house because you're going from thing to thing and still be incredibly alone. Imagine that many of you, if you look back on your lives, there are times that have been relational rainforests, have been rich, they've been filled with other people and community, and there have probably been times that have been relational deserts. There have been places where you, maybe you've been able to join groups, but you haven't felt that connection, that closeness, that intimacy with, with other people. And so this was a, a hard week for me because it was this week of incredible loss. It was the loss of closeness, of intimacy, of connection. We had had times where we were just in the same car for hours and hours and hours. And so there was this fellowship, this community that builds up when you have to spend time with other people and there's nothing else you can do. You end up sharing all kinds of stories that you wouldn't share otherwise. You end up just having this time together where you're, you actually get to a point in a relationship where you feel safe enough not to have to talk about something. And so there was this, just this grief when that was over. That's what the psalmist is telling us about in Psalm 133. Not the grief, but the joy. How amazing and wonderful and delightful it is to be with other people. Verse 1, behold how good and pleasant it is. And this is road trip language here when it says, when brothers dwell. Now, when we just think of dwelling, we might think, oh, these are people who happen to be in the same community. But when this language shows up in the Old Testament, it's something more robust than that. When people dwell together, it's talking about a large family that is sharing a small space. Dwelling is when you have a large family that shares a small space. And so this is part of what happens in a road trip, right? We now live in a society where houses used to have small private areas and large public areas, and now we have houses more and more that have small public areas and large private areas because we're becoming more and more individualistic and isolated, and yet this is not the experience of people in the ancient Near East. It would not have been the experience of the people living in the times of the Psalms were written. Instead, they were familiar of brothers dwelling. They were familiar of being a large extended family having to share a small space together. This is part of what makes road trips both glorious and terrible. And if you're thinking about this, you might think, well, uh, you know, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've had a large family in a small space and you've realized that doesn't always seem like something good and pleasant. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to stop here on the word dwell. If it's good and pleasant, when you have a lot of people living together in a small place, then it's also true that that is what we look for. That's what we long for in community. This is this living life together day by day, this robust, thick community where people share. They share experiences, they share struggles, they share joys. Another way of putting it would be this. The church is not simply an event. 
Now, it's not less than an event. You are here at an event. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. The church is not just an event. It is also a community. It's not just an event. It's also a community. God's goal, his intention for his church is not that we would simply be people who happen to show up in the same sanctuary on Sunday morning and then never see each other again, never have contact or communication with each other again until the next Sunday morning. When I say that we are a community of people following Jesus together, what I mean is we are a community of people following Jesus together. When the front of our worship guide says we are a community of believers, what it means is we are a community of believers. The church is not just an event, it's a community. And so if we're following Jesus together, we have to do it not as individuals, but as a group. We are following Jesus together. That means that we are living life week in and week out. This is a place where we have relationships. We're putting ourselves in places where we can build relationships and fellowship with other people. Now, I didn't intentionally plan it out this way, but it so happened that when we're preaching on this sermon, it's also the first Sunday that we have an insert in your worship guide about our small groups that are starting up soon. Now, this isn't a silver bullet. I'm not guaranteeing that if you attend one small group that you're suddenly going to feel good and pleasant. What I am saying is that if we are going to live up to, if we're going to experience the joy that's offered for us in this psalm, if we're going to see what the psalmist sees, remember he tells us, first one, behold, then we're going to have to put ourselves in places where we're able to build relationships with other people in the church. Small group's an amazing way to do that. It's an excellent way to do that. I encourage you to take a look at, we have multiple small groups that meet at multiple times during the week. They're starting up. Some of them are already running. Some of them will meet next week. One of them will meet in two weeks. If you are not connected in this church, this is an excellent way to begin to build the kind of connections and relationships where you can actually say, I don't just attend church with these people, I dwell with them. We're a large family, but we share a small space. It doesn't have to be a small group. It could be some of you have found that kind of community in our Band of Brothers Bible study on Saturday mornings. Others of you have found that kind of community in our women's Bible studies. And the point is not, go and be a part of one of our programs. But the point is, put yourself in a place, in a position where you can build and grow and nurture the kind of relationships that grow outside of and beyond a program. Build the kind of relationships where you know someone in the church that you want to text when things are bad. Build the kind of relationship that you know someone in the church that you want to call when things are good. Build the kind of relationships in the church that you are inviting people outside of scheduled events to spend time with you at your house. Why? Because behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The church is not just an event, it is also a community. Now if you are maybe a little more experienced in the church, maybe if you're a little more cynical, you might be thinking at this point, I think that's great, it's a great vision of the church, that's not been my experience. There are many of us, if not all of us, who've been hurt at some time or place by the community of the church, 
And there's some of us for whom some of our most painful experiences have happened in the church. This psalm's not unaware of that. I'm not unaware of that. We don't want to gloss over the struggle that happens when we're in community. There is both things that are glorious and things that are messy. And the psalmist is not unaware of that. He's not painting us some pie-in-the-sky picture of community because while I focused on dwell, there's still another word left. We have brothers who are dwelling. How are they dwelling? They're dwelling in unity. There's another time I was on a road trip. This was when I was uh, in college. And circumstantially, it should seem as if this was the most amazing road trip of all time. I was on a traveling study abroad program. I saw, I think it was five countries in four months. We were constantly on the road, and we were moving from place to place. And when I tell people about this trip, they immediately say things like, wow, that must have been amazing. Behold, how good and pleasant that must have been. The reality is, it was terrible. There was constant fighting between the members of the group. There were factions. Uh, There was severe substance abuse. There were times when actual fights broke out. Actual physical fights. I had someone one time call me about a mission trip and they said, you know, it's just, it's going to get real. After a couple weeks, we're going to get over the honeymoon phase and we're just going to have all this conflict and we're going to be at each other. And I just said, well, um, do you think we'll have a fist fight? <laughs> this man, he was really caught off guard. He just said, uh, no. I said, I think I'm going to be good. I think we're going to be fine. It is possible to dwell together with no unity. And if people and relationships can be both glorious and terrible, and if community can be both glorious and terrible, it is glorious when there's unity and terrible when there isn't. And so there are many times and places where the church has not unity but disunity. And there's many times and places where community in the church is not glorious but terrible Because we have brothers who are dwelling together, but they have no unity. And so we have to have all three of those. We can't just have people in small groups, right? That could end up being terrible. We could just have even more people in groups who are fighting, who lack agreement on things. And so that raises the question for us, what does it mean for us to have unity? If we have unity, it means us and someone else, we want the same thing. If you are on a road trip with someone... The assumption is that you are headed to the same destination. If you're not headed to the same destination, it's probably not a road trip. One of you is a hitchhiker. If you are truly on a road trip, you're headed to the same place. You may not agree about everything, but you agree about the most important things. And you're willing to be there with anyone else who's headed to the same destination. This is the same thing we talked about in Philippians. We have people who are partnering in the gospel together. Remember I told you about the hobbit and how everyone, there were all kinds of different people. You had hobbits and you had dwarves and they didn't always like each other as much as they would hope and they didn't have the same preferences, but they had the same treasure that they were after. And so they were traveling together. They had unity. They were able to join together because they had agreement about what truly Mattered. These pilgrims who are traveling, the Psalms of Ascent, they probably had different backgrounds. Some of them were from the tribe of Levi, perhaps. Some of them maybe were from the tribe of Judah. 
Maybe some of them were wealthy. Maybe some of them were not so wealthy. That didn't matter. They could all sing Psalm 133 because they were all headed to Jerusalem. If we want to have what the psalmist calls something that's good and pleasant, if we want to have beautiful community, then we all need to be headed in the same direction. And so when things go wrong, it's when our destination is something other than what we're all headed towards. It's something other than our common destination. It's something other than our love of the gospel. When we have disunity, it means that we're finding unity around something else. Maybe we're finding unity about what part of town we're in. Some of us live in Broadmoor Bluffs. Some of us live in Cheyenne Meadows. Some of us live in other parts. Maybe we find unity, not in the gospel, but in a particular choice we've made about how we're going to do education. Maybe we find unity in an age group. We're traveling not with God's people, but we're just traveling with people who happen to be in a certain generation. You'll notice this, by the way, in certain churches. As churches lose sight of the gospel, it's surprising how much people in the church will start to look the same. If their destination isn't the gospel, then they have to have something that they're uniting around. I've seen this happen before. You have a church, and everyone in the church, surprisingly, is of the exact same socioeconomic class and the exact same generation. Why is that? Well, it could be miraculously they live in a community where there's only one demographic, but the, the reality is they probably are not sharing the destination of the gospel together. Part of what is beautiful and glorious about our church that I love about it that makes us begin to approach what the psalmist calls good and pleasant is we have people here at Cheyenne Mountain who are of different ages. We have people of different marital statuses. We have people who were born in the U.S. We have people who were not born in the U.S. We have people who are military. We have people who are not military. That should encourage us to know that that's part of the sign that we have some level of unity because we're heading towards the same thing. We are people on a road trip. We're people who are valuing and glorying in the same thing. When we don't do that, that's when we get, we get clicks, right? Something other than the gospel is what we're pursuing together. Maybe we're pursuing safety. We just want to be with people who we already know and don't disagree with us about anything. That's what's going to lead to gossip in the church. My goal is not to experience and know my justification that I don't need to prove anything to anyone, but instead I'm here to make sure I know that I feel better than other people around me. Instead, we're pursuing the unity that the psalmist talks about here. We are not just believing justification as a theological category. We're not just recognizing intellectually that Jesus paid the price for our sins and he made it just as if we never sinned. But we're actually experiencing our, the result of our justification. We are living it out. We're realizing that we are at peace with God. And so we don't have to prove anything to anyone else. We're at peace with God, and so we can be in social situations where we don't always know what to say or do. We're at peace with God. We know that God's favor is on us, that when he looks at us, he sees Jesus, and so we don't have to worry about looking silly if we do the wrong thing at the wrong time. Instead, it's our unity in the gospel that allows us to live at peace with each other, pursuing the same goal together. And then the psalmist gives us two beautiful images. What happens when we have all these three things? We have brothers dwelling. We have a large family living in a small space. We have unity. We're heading towards the same place together. And so we're welcoming all sorts of different people as long as they share this one mission with us. Well, he gives us two images. First, and this I'm I'm imagining many of you, when you came back from your road trips and someone asked you, how was it? I would be surprised if you didn't say, verse 2, 
You know, as we were traveling together in the car, uh, it was like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And everyone would have understood. Amen. I'm so glad that this was a beard oil type of road trip for you. Now, this is a place where we have to put ourselves in the minds of the writers and readers of the Old Testament. We're told that this is the precious oil. This is an oil that would have only been allowed to be used for the high priest. It was a fragrant oil that was filled with spices. And when I say spices, we're not talking about 99-cent Walmart spices. We're talking about $7, $8 savory spice spices. Or maybe even better, spices that were hand-ground. In other words, when this oil is rolling down on the priest... Everyone can smell it, and it smells really good. There is something incredibly attractive and beautiful about God's people living together in unity. This is the kind of smell that maybe you're in the mall and you're passing by a shop that, smells, that sells candles or it sells some kind of lotions, and they make sure that you can smell everything outside of the shop because they want you to come into the shop. God is saying when his people live in unity, there's an aroma outside the shop that people smell and they want to come inside. It's like the oil that is on the beard of Aaron. And it gets everywhere. This oil isn't just fragrant. It's not just inviting people in. It's joining different types of things. It's on his head. It's on his collar. If you read in the Old Testament, you'll know later it's sprinkled on his robes as well. This unity is connecting different types of people. They would have known they're heading to the temple, and maybe they're looking forward to this moment. What is this unity like? This unity is contagious. It's something that people can see, and they can smell, and they know that it is different. And it smells good. What happens when brothers dwell in unity? Everybody knows about it. People are attracted to this kind of unity. You may have come here this morning because you sensed a special presence in some of the people that you know in this church. You may have stayed in this church because you came and you joined a part of a group and you sensed that connection and that love that was present. That's what these pilgrims are singing about on their road trip. The oil on the beard of Aaron. Second of all, it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Now this is something we can understand maybe a little better than the oil. Hermon was a tall mountain, and by tall I mean it was really cute compared to Colorado standards. It's about 9,000 feet, so not insignificant, no 14er. But if you've traveled to Israel, you know that Mount Hermon is the very tallest mountain in all of Israel. And what happens if you're a tall mountain? You always at the top, you're likely to have, more likely than other places, you're likely to have some snow. So there's going to be water coming down. But Mount Hermon was also known as a place where there was constant water. It's constant dew. It was very lush compared to the rest of Israel. So you have the dew of Hermon, which falls in the mountains of Zion. Well, guess what? The mountains of Zion are far south. Hermon's all the way in the north. The dew of Hermon never falls on the mountains of Zion. I'm going to say that again. The dew of Hermon never falls on the mountains of Zion. In other words, this is something that never happens. 
And while Hermon is always lush and green because it always has water, Judea for months has no water. In other words, as these pilgrims are traveling, perhaps in a dry circumstance, a dry part of the year, they realize that God's unity, the unity of his people, is something supernatural. It would be as if this dew from this mountain far up north hit the dry mountains down south. And not only is it something supernatural, but it's also something that brings incredible life and refreshment. There is something uniquely refreshing about Mount Hermon. There's something different about it from the rest of Jerusalem, the rest of Israel, because it's so high and so tall. The unity of God's people living together in community brings life where there would otherwise not be life. It brings refreshment where there would otherwise not be refreshment. It brings something that's beautiful and glorious in what would otherwise be a desert. In other words, no matter what you are walking through in your life right now, no matter how dry your external circumstances are right now, God promises refreshment to you that is supernatural, that brings water to places that are dry when his people dwell together in unity. There is special life and blessing and growth with Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship refreshes those who are in a dry place. It brings life where there would not otherwise be life. And it brings water to places that would otherwise be a desert. Many of you have experienced that in the church. You know there can be all kinds of things that are going bad around you. If your relationships are strong, you can hold up under a lot. I forget the person who said this quote, but there's a quote that um, one of my parents told me at one point that someone said about marriage. They said, you, you uh, can, there's no job in the world, no matter how good your job is, it can't sustain a bad marriage. But no matter how bad or bad your job is, if you have a good marriage, you can, you can make it. You can make it through a bad job with a good marriage, but you can't make it through a bad, job, a bad marriage with a good job. No matter what's going on in life, you can't make it through without God's people. And no matter what's going on in life, you can make it through with God's people. When brothers dwell together in unity. And so how do we have oil on the beard, lush green Mount Hermon type of unity in the church? Well, first of all, we have to pursue one purpose. We have to be unified about what it is that actually brings us together. But there's also a problem, right? We are not always capable and able to pursue one purpose. There's times when our sin and our struggle gets in the way. This psalm tells us that this is a song in the sense of David. So David's the author. He's the one writing about this. Even David destroyed the unity of Jerusalem. It was because of David's sin, ultimately that it was split into the northern and southern kingdoms. So I want you to think about this for a second. 
have you ever made do? You can raise your hand if you've ever made do. Have you ever made it rain? You can raise your hand if you've ever made it rain. This psalm is telling us about a blessing that comes only from God. It's like precious oil that does what? It runs down. It's poured down. It's like dew which falls. In fact, we see running down or falling three times. Twice in verse 2, once in verse 3. This is a blessing that God pours out. And if you think I'm making that up, look at verse 3 because it says, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. In other words, this is something that is a gift from God. True unity, the blessing and glory of living in community together as the church is something that God gives to his people as a special gift as we follow him together. And who is the blessing for? We talked a lot about dwelling and unity, but verse 1 also tells us that it happens with brothers. Now, this is not to say that this happens only for men. This is inclusive language. So, brothers, it's talking about the people of Israel. This is something for people specifically. This blessing that God has commanded is for those who are following after him. In the Old Testament, they would have known that they had faith in Yahweh. And in the New Testament, we know what that means is that we look just as they did, but less clearly to Jesus. And so the blessing of life forevermore is for everyone who has faith in Christ, who's looking to him for the unity that he bought for his church when he died and gave his life on the cross and then rose again from the dead. It's the unity that we read about already in John chapter 17 that Jesus prayed for, for us. And so the unity that we're heading after, that we're longing for, the picture of true community, the road trip, that we don't want to end is and is only the journey that we take with God, with through faith in Christ, along with other believers. It's something that Jesus prayed for us and provides for us as well. And so just like we can pray for rain, but we can't provide it. We can pray to God for the unity that only he provides. He provides it to his people, the brothers. He provides it when they dwell, when we're living life together, skin on skin, flesh on flesh, week in and week out, day after day. And he provides it to us when we are doing this in unity, when we're pursuing one goal, one destination together. And he pursues it because he provides it because of everything that Jesus has bought and earned for us. And so we can long for that unity and we can work for it, knowing that it's Jesus who works ahead of us and before us. And so just as Jesus prayed for unity for his church, we're going to pray now. And so I invite you to do that with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful images that you've given us in your word of your people dwelling together. We thank you for the ways that this is true of our church now, and we ask that you would make it even more true that you'd quiet our hearts where we're trying to use community to earn something or prove something rather than realizing that you've earned and proved everything that is needed for us through Jesus. We ask you grow our fellowship here that more and more we would be able to say that this is something that's fragrant and attractive, that it is like the oil in the beard of Aaron. 
and that it's something that provides life in a dry place. It's like the dew on Hermon that falls on the mountains of Judah. We know that we don't deserve this and we can't make it on our own, that it's something that you have to give to us and send to us through your Spirit. And so we ask that you would do that now. Because of Jesus, you would send your Holy Spirit to build us and grow us together as one community following after you. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.